When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Happy New Year and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, his New Year's resolution is to make sure his spells resolve. That's Matt Morgan. Joey, 2020 was the year that made me wish I had to wear glasses. I don't even want 2020 vision anymore. I I can absolutely agree. I'm glad to have that year behind us. Tell All you gone. Yeah. Next, his New Year's resolution is like 1080p, very high def. That's Dana Roach. Yeah, we're going to pretend 2020 didn't happen. It's just not a thing anymore. It's like that time in college I put liquid dish soap in the actual dishwasher and got like three (laughs) feet of bubbles in our kitchen. We're just going to pretend it didn't occur. I denied doing it to my roommates and blamed it on somebody else. And we're going to do the same thing with 2020. It was somebody else's fault. I'm, I'm glad that you made sure to keep that story secret, Dana, and you didn't <laughs> right. tell it to a bunch of listeners or video folks on YouTube, and no one knows that story. Good job keeping that hush-hush. I mean, it could be a new dawn for him. The truth. Oh, man. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck-building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data, uh, you know, a little bit more context. Fellas, it's nice to be back. We had a week off for the holidays, but we are back here now in 2021. And Matt, what is it that we're going to be doing on this New Year's episode? So the first episode of the year, we're just going to check in on the format. What's kind of the state of the format? Take a bird's eye view and kind of see what's going on in the format over the past year. And and how is it showing up on EDH Rec? Yeah, absolutely. EDH Rec likes to go over, you know, the past data and make sure that it always stays current. And so that's kind of what we want to do here on the podcast too. kind of reorientate ourselves to see where is Commander and what that might mean for the future in 2021. But before we get to our main topic, what we want to do is pause and give a huge, huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone podcast. That's Josh Lequai, Lady Danger, Ashlyn, whole bunch of awesome folks doing the post-production work on our podcast here to make it look as cool as it does. So thank you all so much. And of course, thank you to our sponsors who help bring the show to you too. 
Yeah, thank you very much to Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has a fantastic uh, buy list of cards that you want to get rid of so you can get store credit to buy whatever cool new stuff from Kaldheim is coming here in the upcoming weeks. And TCG Player has a really, really deep list of cards for you to purchase again from Kaldheim coming up here in the very near future. So <laughs> you can tune your decks as tight as you want to or as, as creatively as you want to. Just go to EDH Rec and click on the appropriate link beneath the card you want doing so supports both the site and the show and if you would like to support the show directly you can head over to patreon.com slash edh we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels say you want to check out all the previous challenge of stats that we have done in the past you can do that at a specific tier or if you just want to get the episodes a day early and listen to all of our nifty hijinks in the new year you can do that as well over at patreon.com slash edh and we also have a level where we shout out a certain patron every single week. So this week, we do want to shout out Mariel Brandt. So thank you so much for being a patron. We definitely appreciate it. Yes, thank you so, so much for all of the support. Okay, let's get to our main topic now. And it's kind of just a, you know, a checkup. How is how is the Commander format doing? And before we get to any of the data, which there will be plenty of in this episode for sure, because we need some numbers to see really, you know, what's the format going on? How do you guys feel about it? I guess before we have any numbers to support it, we talked about how 2020 went on our previous episode with Olivia. But, you know, going into 2021 and kind of observing the Friends of Commander over the past couple of years. Dana, for example, where are you sort of feeling with how Commander is? Are you optimistic about it? Are you happy with it? Are you afraid going into the future? Just what's what's your diagnosis on the year before we get to any of the numbers? I think it's really tough to come up with a, a, a concise a thesis about that just because 2020 being the year that it was so far removed from what we would call typical commander play sure. um you know your play groups changed what those play groups were doing because you're playing on webcam if you did get to play changed so much the whole year of commander thing added so many cards to the format um so we're just looking at so many changes in 2020 that were rapid and abrupt from 2019 it's really difficult to pull anything from it. If I did pull anything from it, um, I, I do think some of the problematic cards I thought they were making that might have pushed the power too much in 2019, they seem to have figured out how to not do that in 2020. So I, I think the format, despite the added attention from Wizards of the Coast, I, I think is doing pretty good. They've kind of gotten a handle on how to do that without being too disruptive maybe. Um, so I, I feel like things are pretty positive. I'm, I'm looking forward to the future. I think things um, look very uh, like they're moving in the right direction. But I also am hesitant to lean too far into that, given the fact that the, the, the stuff we were looking at in, in 2020 was just so different than 2019 just because of the way the year went. All right. That's 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 I think I can co-sign on that. Matt, how about you? Well, to kind of build off of what we talked about, with Olivia last week, or last episode, I should say, if there is a format that can survive what 2020 did just in general, Commander is definitely the format. So whether it's all the new attention, like Dana said, coming from Wizards of the Coast, all these powerful new spells that they're trying to inject, or just, you know, what's going on, like you may be you know, Jeremy Noel on Commander Versus and you love casting Villainous Wealth, that doesn't happen very well over <laughs> webcam games. But there's still a way for everybody to go and enjoy these games. So I think Commander is, like it was the year before, it's still in a great spot. It's still the best format out there for Magic the Gathering. 
I think there's some new things going on and there's always kind of some turnover. It does stink that we're getting to the point where it almost feels like decks are rotating out, which is the whole selling point of Commander. But that's just because cards are getting more and more powerful every year. So sure, there are some old cards that might get kind of pushed out of the format. But then again, Commander is the format where you can play however you want to. So whatever might be happening at those top tier of those tables, you and your playgroup, you can still make the format whatever you want it to be because the format is that big. And I think that says a lot just to the resiliency of the commander format. I, I really, really love that, Matt. And the rotation thing that you mentioned there is especially interesting to me, too, because that actually kind of that that harmonizes in my brain. That resonates with me, I guess. Like, I, I would totally agree that especially after the past year of so many products just being constantly churned out so often, it did feel a whole lot like the commander is like always changing and we didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have time to to catch our breath. It was like we were stuck in a dryer a little bit and was just like, OK, let's let's get a little bit of distance so we can appreciate all of the stuff that we got this past year. And I think going into 2021, that's really what I would like to see is for a bit more of a let's take a moment so we can finally appreciate all of the awesome toys that we've gotten. Um, and then also, I hope that, you know, that's not just a player thing, but also a, a wizard's design thing that they take in mind, too, so that there isn't that feeling of like it's as though we're rotating in a standard format or something. We can actually, uh, you know, reclaim some of that stability a little bit. Oh, but yeah. all of this is probably a bit of waffling without any proper numbers in it. And I think that the numbers are something that we should probably get to because I don't know. I'm just going to go back to that whole, you know, the quote format is rotating thing that you might have mentioned. That's something that we do sometimes see, especially when we're talking about the most popular command of all time. So kind of comparing and contrasting, you know, then and now is something that I think would be informative for us going into this episode to kind of talk about where Commander is in 2021 compared to where it used to be in like 2018 or 2019. For example, let's take a look at what the top commanders were from, you know, that 2018 era and compare it to where they are now in 2021. Dana, do you want to take us through it? Who were the top commanders in like 2018? So the top five most popular commanders when we looked at this last, which was uh, 2018, episode 71, uh, number one was Atraxa. That's the uh, four-color non-red proliferate angel. Number two was Edgar Markov, who makes uh, 1-1 vampire tokens. Three and four were Marin of Clan Toth and Moldrotha, who were both just recursion engines. You can recast stuff from your graveyard. And number five was Brea, the artifact commander that's just a absolute combo house. And I think when, when you ask the typical player out there who the top five commanders out there are, people still think that's probably pretty close to the actual list that we're seeing today. Just because that the the format back then, that was kind of when we were reaching the, the peak of popularity. And so a lot of those commanders that were the, the marquee commanders back then, just that mentality is kind of carried over to today. Yeah, when I picture the, you know, the stars, the headliners of commander, you know, those are the ones that I certainly pick. But are those the same that are the most popular nowadays? Not really, no. In fact, there's not a whole lot of carryover. Uh, number one we're seeing as of today um, is a brand newcomer, Golos Tireless Pilgrim, the colorless but somehow also five-color uh, Solemn Simulacrum legendary creature, um, has over 5,000 decks in the past two years uh, coming in to, to come out of nowhere, and it's only been around for 
about two years. Uh, number two, we're actually still seeing Atraxa, uh, Praetor's Voice, about 4,600 decks or so to, as of today. Um, Muldroth of the Gravetide holding in there at number three um, with about 4,500 decks. But then we see two more newcomers. We have Yuriko, the Tiger's Shadow, which is the Commander Ninjutsu Ninja Tribal uh, Demir Legend with about 3,900 decks. And then number five, Corval the Fey Cursed King, which is only been out for about a year or so um, with 3,800 decks. So the top lists have kind of churned over quite a bit. It's it's interesting seeing all these commanders that we thought were never going to go away. They were always going to be super popular are actually now getting pushed down as far as when it comes to the popularity lists. Right. That's kind of the weird thing for me a little bit, I think. Like, you know, the the war for the top spot in EDH has been kind of funny to see over the years because for a really long time after 2013, like it looked as though Olero Ageless Ascetic, the Esper Lifian commander, was never going to be unseated from mm-hmm. that throne. It stayed there for a while. But then eventually Marin of Clan Toth came out and she was like going to overtake Olero back in like 2015, 2016. But then Atraxa slammed into first place and really was a huge upset. But then like Muldrotha started creeping in and then Korvolds is like threatened to take over the crown. And now Golos is just outshining everyone. Um, so it has been kind of weird. It's not as though some of those old commanders like Brea, for example, have moved down into like Zilch for popularity. But we do actually see some turnover in the top spots, which does kind of contribute, I think, a bit to that, you know, the format feels as though it's rotating, quote unquote, uh, sensation that we discussed a little bit earlier. The most popular commanders do shift over time as trends you know, kind of get a little bit more new and hip and everything that Dana can't stand, basically, because I know that Dana loves the the least popular commanders ever. Um, I, it, you're not wrong. I can't, then I can say, <laughs> yeah, you got me. <laughs> Well, it's also kind of crazy, too, thinking that Eureka Tiger Shadow, for example, has been around for a long time, and it's finally just now getting to the top five, but Corval the Faker's King, which has been out for a year, or Golos, which has been out for, you know, two months longer than Corvold, it's already vaulted into the number one slot. Like, that's just kind of crazy, like, how powerful of commanders those two are, specifically, because they're, they're in half the time... Or, or less even when you think about compared to, uh, you know, Edgar Markov, for example, coming out of nowhere and just pushing those out because they're just that powerful. And that's kind of what we talk about with rotation, like something new comes along pushes maybe some old strategies that you might have tried playing out of the picture. Or I suppose it also does like create space for a weird strategy that didn't have support. And now this, True. you know, Golos is yeah. finally almost a de facto way that you might be able to pull that kind of thing off, for example. Like it, there's a push and pull there, I think. But yeah, it is definitely a lot more the norm nowadays that like a newcomer actually has a chance of busting into the top spots, which I think a couple of years ago wasn't necessarily a thing that we would have all anticipated as much. And so that is a refreshing thing for us to hold in our minds as we're going into 2021 and you know just appreciating that none of this popularity is necessarily set in stone and that can be a really useful lesson for us for sure um when it comes to the popularity of commanders i was kind of curious just how popular the popular ones are if that makes sense and so i wanted to do a little bit of digging um there are 430,000 plus decks in the edh rec database that's a whole bunch of information for us to be pulling from but i was kind of curious you know how much of the of that belongs to the most popular decks, for instance. So, you know, there are 1,642 possible legendary creatures or planeswalkers that can be your commanders out there in the commander format. 1,642 possible legendary things to lead your deck. And it turns out that of those, 
only 107 of them actually make up about half of that total deck count. So 107 of the most popular commanders make up half of the decks in the database. That's about 6.5% of the total legendaries out there cover up half of the commander deck population. And that, I think, is interesting and funny and weird. And I just wanted to throw that out into the ether now because that is some math that I did and which surprised me. Well, so what I hear you saying, Joey, is that trickle-down economics does not work in Commander either. Oh, you went there! I went there. <laughs> I went there. Golos is now known as Jeff Bezos. Matt, all our home speakers are listening. He knows you said that. No. <laughs> oh, no. So, so now we're on, we're on his list. We've just so made Mark, Ro- Mark Rosewater has been listening in. Right, right. <laughs> we found out exactly why it is that Dana doesn't like Golos after all. There now, we go. Here's the, the real reason. <laughs> okay, y'all. Let's move on now. This is another thing that I think would be kind of... Um, kind of informative for us to touch on here too. And it is something that we mentioned in some previous episodes, our highest and lowest mana curves episodes, where we went over the commanders that have the, you know, highest average CMCs within their deck and of course the lowest average CMCs. And in those episodes, we also noticed a trend that we've seen over the past couple of years too, which I think will also kind of help guide us through 2021. And that's basically that, yeah, there's confirmation here that the format is getting a little bit faster in game. You know, about two years ago or so, the average CMC of EDH decks was at about 3.51, which is perfectly respectable. That's a nice average to hit. And now it's gone down just a bit to 3.3. Three doesn't sound like a huge change, but over that much time, like, yeah, that is actually kind of moving down the, you know, mana costs are slimming here and there. The mana rocks are getting a little bit cheaper, and that's something that is informing the way that games develop in EDH2. So it's something that we definitely wanted to address here. Games are getting a little bit faster. Well, I, I don't know if it's games are getting faster, but the games are getting more efficient, certainly. Yeah, uh, people better way cast- to put that. People- People are casting a lot more spells early game. There's, you know, three visits just got a new reprint. There's a lot more arcane signets, so ramp is getting more efficient. Um, there's a lot more kill spells. You know, they, they keep printing swords to plowshares, which I definitely appreciate. Um, so everybody's getting some better removal. So, it, yeah, I don't know if it may be faster, but more efficient, I think, is definitely a, a conclusion that you can draw from from the average mana curve dropping down. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to phrase it, Matt, as things have gotten more efficient. I'm, I'm on board with that as, as a explanation. I think there's a lot to this number as well. Like CEDH has has seen a, a a growth spurt in the last couple of years as well. And and those decks tend to be always online. Like CDH players tend to put their lists online at a higher rate than the average Magic player just because they take the game very, very seriously, generally speaking. So, you know, the more of those decks that get put online, the more that kind of pulls those stats down a little bit as well. So there's there's an element of that there. Um, what I do think is kind of interesting is I tended to hover probably on average around the 3.3 range or so. And I don't know if my decks have really gone down the last year. So I, I'll be curious to see if in a few years, if if maybe people tend to find that as a stasis point, because that seems to be my stasis point roughly. I don't feel mm. the need to make my decks any, any more efficient than around 3.3. Um, I'm wondering if everyone else kind of feels the same way or if maybe I now change my mind and start tweaking more or if there's a point of equilibrium there. I'll be curious in a couple of years to look at this number and see where it's at. 
No, that's definitely true that it's not the type of number that can continue to always be trending right. downward. It's got to level off at some point. It's going to hit some low plateau in some way. Maybe we're already there and we'll eventually see that plateau or maybe it will still, you know, kind of go down. But I appreciate the correction there on saying it's not necessarily faster, but just more efficient because really where the spaces are that, you know, those mana costs are being trimmed just a little bit is much more in the transition from Thran Dynamo to Heraldic Banner or from Command Sphere to Arcane Signet. You know, it is in those small spaces. It's less of the four mana removal spells like Utter End and more of the one mana or two mana removal spells like D Spark or Swords to Plowshares. That's a lot more where we're seeing the uh, the stuff getting slimmed up a bit rather than, you know, the actual wind conditions or the soul of the deck where you still have your like nine mana or eight mana haymakers, for example. Those are still, you know, being as powerful and crazy as they always were, but it's more the, the edges and the support system of a deck that is getting a bit more reduced. And that's why we're seeing that particular trend there. So the efficiency is a great... Uh, uh, you know, correction for me there. Thanks for keeping me in check. You're welcome, Joy. I, I, <laughs> well, I mean, words do matter. And I, I think faster might be misrepresenting a little bit because there definitely are still the, the big, the AC Tyrant of the Straits, you know, casting sea monsters decks out there that they may not be fast, but they, they get their stuff efficiently done in the early turns. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of the improvement with the mana curves lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So there's some other information that I want to get in here, too, as well to sort of see, you know, how the colors are doing going into 2021. But you know what? Before we get there, it's been a little while, y'all. Like we didn't even have it on our 2020 review episode when we looked over the data from 2020. Like it's been a minute since we've challenged some stats. And that's one of our favorite things on this podcast. So, so let's get to it because there's a bunch of data here on EDH Rec, you know, but we don't always agree with that. Sometimes I think that cards see too much play. Sometimes we think that cards aren't nearly enough play. So what we like doing is challenging those stats. Dana, will you start us off this week and I guess this year? What is the first challenge of 2021? My first challenge of 2021 is a card that maybe has a little bit of reputation just being kind of mean, um, but I don't think that's necessarily deserved. That's Wound Reflection. Oh, it's a it's a six man enchantment, five and a black at the beginning of each end step. Each opponent loses life equal to the life they lost this turn. Um, what's maybe mean about it is the fact that you really can't see it coming. You know, you might take 10 damage in a situation where you wouldn't take 10 damage if you knew it was going to turn into 20, but someone can then drop wound reflection after the damage is dealt in second main phase and kill you. So that's, so not seeing it coming is a little bit annoying, um, but it's also a very, very strong card. It gives some decks that maybe don't have ways to close it out, a way to close it out. And also at six mana, it's the kind of card where like super strong decks maybe don't want to be playing in that six mana enchantment space anyway. So it's a bit of an equalizer. It's only in just under 3,000 decks. And part of that problem is for a long time, it was a 30 to $40 card. Um, and I think people don't realize it's a $3 card now after getting reprinted in Double Masters. So if you're playing one of those many, many decks out there that struggles a little bit to close things out and you're playing at a at a speed where your deck can play a six-man enchantment, Wound Reflection gives you a way to, to maybe win games that you didn't have. And it gives you a way to do it for $3 maybe in, when you didn't want to spend you know 30 or $40 six months ago. So I use this as a very, very fun finisher in my Virtus and Gorm deck, where when Virtus 
you know, just just pokes someone. All it takes is a, is a little is a little poke. He cuts their life in half, and they lose half their life. They're rendered up, and it's really really delightful. I absolutely love that card. And wound reflection is one of the funniest things that you can do. I wholly endorse this, Dana. Yes, embrace the dark side. <laughs> but but that's a great example of a deck, Joey, where like that's absolutely not a super super tuned brutal deck that sometimes you've yourself admitted has a tough time closing out games. This gives you a way in that deck that kind of plays in that mid-tier space to actually win games in ways you maybe didn't necessarily have to do before. Yeah, and especially that the price on this one is way more affordable than it used to be. Great recommendation, and um, I I hope to see you uh, have more wounds reflected. Um, I might might put this into some more of my decks. That sounds interesting. Matt, do you want to do you want to take the next challenge while I look at the decks that I have and see where I can put in more <laughs> wound reflections that might be used against Dana? I, I think you should actually go first, then, if that's what you're going to be doing with your time. I <laughs> uh, can't support that at all. But I will. I'll, I'll take the challenge stats number two of the year. Um, so my challenge this week is going to be on subterranean tremors. Um, this deck, this card is X and a red for a sorcery that deals X damage to each creature without flying. Then if X is four or more, you destroy all artifacts. If X is eight or more, you create an 8-8 red lizard creature token and you put on the battlefield. Uh, Where I'm challenging it specifically, though, is in Jared Carthalian decks. Uh, That is the new Naya commander from Commander Legends that when he enters the battlefield, uh, somebody else becomes the monarch. And as long as you're the monarch, it prevents all the damage. He gets plus one, plus one counters, does a lot of pretty nifty stuff. So the typical Jared Carthalian deck is playing a lot of roiling earthquake or chain reaction type of damage based sweepers. But a lot of them don't really have any upside, especially if you're playing stuff like actual earthquake. So those just seem to be just a kind of not a strict downgrade, but they're just not going to be as effective because they don't have the upside that subterranean tremors has. So subterranean tremors is played in 14% of decks, which is behind roiling earthquake, which I mean, roiling earthquake just doesn't really do as much, especially once you start getting into those higher X equals eight or more, for example, you're going to be putting still a lot of counters on Jared Carthalian, but you're going to be destroying all artifacts. You kind of get a Shatterstorm type of effect, and Stuffy Doll still is indestructible. It doesn't really matter if you destroy all artifacts. Brash Taunter still is going to reflect all that damage that you're going to see in the average Jared deck. So I think Roiling Earthquake, if you're playing a lot of those X-based sweepers that's just going to do a lot of damage, give a look to Subterranean Tremors because you're going to get a lot of upside that's going to put another token on the battlefield. It's just going to outclass a lot of the other sweepers that the typical deck is playing right now interesting and mean stuff from us a at little this point, mean i, I will yeah. admit yeah yeah we're starting off a, a bit strong and um our next challenge our final one here which comes from a listener it actually also kind of deviates into that um <laughs> here's a nasty trick kind of territory okay. so i'm excited to share this one this one comes from one of our listeners who goes by tharja on our discord so the discord is one of our patreon perks and submitting for challenge the stats is also one of our patreon perks as is you know the previous challenge spreadsheet a whole bunch of stuff here and tharja's really knocked it out of the park with this one this is a very clever and funny trick here that i can't wait to share with you all except that i can because it's pretty mean and i don't want this to happen to me uh tharja said I looked at the top decks for Tago Goblin Weaponsmith, which is that new partner that makes rocks whenever you get landfall, and then it can equip the rocks and then, you know, just throw them at people. Um, 
What Tharsha notices is that, you know, Taco doesn't seem to be playing a whole bunch of the card Stigma Lasher, which if Stigma Lasher deals damage to an opponent, it prevents them from being able to gain any life for the entire rest of that game. But Stigma Lasher doesn't have to deal combat damage for that to work. You can actually put a small little rock onto the Stigma Lasher and then just toss it at someone and they won't be able to gain any life. And that suits the red ability of, you know, making sure that your opponent's life totals are always going down rather than going up suits it pretty well. And that's a pretty interesting trick that if you're playing a new Toggle Goblin Weaponsmith deck, you might want to give a look to. Thank you so much, Tharjip, for submitting that challenge. It's a really nasty start to the year, y'all. <laughs> we're, we're dealing a lot of damage with these challenges. A lot of damage. Definitely seems that way. All right, y'all, that was a lot of fun, but now let's get back to talking about the data and sort of situating ourselves for 2021, what we can kind of expect from the year. That way we can compare and contrast at the end of this year and see where things are then too. Basically, what I want to do now is check in on the colors. Like, how are the colors doing? You know, we always say, for example, that white and red are the least popular colors, but is that actually true? We've got this sense too, I think, that green is just like, absolutely ridiculous in um, all of the ways. Um, but is it actually the most popular color in the entire format? Dana, take us through it. What's the color breakdown actually like when we take a look at the numbers here? So the color breakdown, if we go through a uh, Wooburg order here, uh, white, 46% of decks in the database include white, 52% include blue, 51% include black, 48% include red and 49% include green. So, you know, white is in last place. I don't think anyone's shocked at that, but it's two percentage points off of red and the jump from red to green is one percentage point. Um, you know, red generally viewed as a weak color in commander, green generally viewed as the strongest color and they're neck and neck. It's a, you know, a rounding error, basically the difference between decks that contain red and decks that contain green. That's yeah. I, this, this made me really happy to see because I mean, green's actually in the middle in terms of the colors. The color blue is actually the most popular one just in terms of, you know, decks that in, can include those colors. Blue is the one that happens to be the most. It's all sort of gradients here. You know, it's just a handful of percentage points here and there. But that also, you know, again, there are over 400,000 decks in the database. So that is, you know, still several thousands of decks. And that's kind of a good thing, I think, to help me at least keep in mind that, you know, green definitely feels a little bit like, okay, whoa, but it also isn't necessarily like super overrepresented. There are plenty of non green decks and other colors are also showing up more often just a little bit. Well, you know, what's not a rounding error, though, is that white is 6% behind blue as far as how many decks it's being played in. Uh, that's a yeah. pretty significant gap when you think of like we said, there's over 434,000 decks in the database. So 6% is actually a pretty significant number. Uh, it's it's stark that, you know, blue is still, I mean, as Richard Garfield intended, the most powerful, <laughs> arguably, and, and, and most played color in Commander. Um, but now it's just the fact that white is lagging so far behind. Um, I think actually 54% of people are just doing it wrong. That's That's my <laughs> conclusion. Well, I, you know, uh, since you're, you're kind of talking a little bit of trash about white, deservedly so, perhaps. Um, yeah. I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll 
said something positive, um, red has become a, a really interesting and strong color. I think in Commander in the last couple of years, especially, um, we got some amazing red cards this year. And, you know, a few years back when you'd get a red card, a lot of times the argument was, well, if you're playing red, that's a good card. Like a mono red or like Boros or something. Like if you're, if you're stuck in red, that card is good. Um, there's a lot of cards that we've gotten in the last year or two that are just really good cards. And like, it's no longer a situation where I'm playing is it so I'm obviously running all of the blue draw spells. There's stuff in red that's good enough to run if you're playing is it. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the tables have turned a little bit and it's like a, it's, it's a color that now isn't just something that almost handicaps your deck. It's complementary to a lot of these decks in a way it wasn't a few years ago. Yeah, I think if there, if there's one color that had the best year in 2020, it would definitely be red. It, like you said, Dana, it got a lot of toys. Like Jessica's Will is basically Mana Geyser with Commune with Lava combined into <laughs> right. one card. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, I know you love the card, but having played against it on twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast, <laughs> uh, it, there it is. It does a lot of work. Well, not only that, like, I, I, it feels to me personally that, like, for every promise that Wizards of the Coast made about, you know, ooh, powerful white cards in 2020, it feels like, honestly, the most creative decisions came in red. Like, Hellkite yeah. Courser, for example, slamming free commanders into play is as hilarious as it can be powerful. And that's exactly the type of zaniness that has been really fun to see develop and be explored in that territory. So yeah, red has, you know, it it's 48% of the decks include red or whatever, but it is like it, fun and vibrant and alive in doing that. And it's just really, if you can have, if you can warm a cold necromancer heart like mine, <laughs> Like that, I'm just saying that's really impressive. And so watching that has definitely been a, a really great development. So this is a good way for us to, you know, keep that in mind too. White still needs some work. White could also use a bit more of the fun. You know, Rachel Weeks from the Command Sphere podcast is a really big fan of saying that, you know, it isn't just that we want to see powerful white cards. We want to see some fun white cards. Don't just resign us to the church and to the soldiers in terms of white flavor. Give us some like weird stuff that all the other colors have clearly been up to for so long. And I fully endorse that. And I would love to see those numbers change a little bit by the time that we get to the end of this coming year. And, and red is proof it can be done. Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. I mean, I think wh whoever in Watsi, like within that building that is designing the red cards, they definitely need a raise and maybe just have them design some white cards too. I mean, they, they did a very good job go. with red. Um, and maybe whoever's designing blue, give them a break for a little bit. <laughs> Extra PTO. Yeah. I don't mind at all. As we can see, blue is doing fine after that all. doesn't need so. more help. I could all design right, blue cards and they'd be very good. That's that's not oh yeah shut it down Matt that's not the only thing that we want to talk about though in terms of the color breakdown those are just you know the total percentage of decks that happen to include um, you know a certain color but it's also kind of interesting to take a look at the color composition of decks too so let's take a look at the color breakdown as it relates to you know the number of colors that are within a deck because there have been a couple of changes on this front as well over the past couple of years um, let's maybe do this as like pie charts on the screen will probably be the easiest way to uh, keep up with this, but this is kind of an interesting development when we take a look at the number of colorless decks, monocolor decks, two-color, three-color, four-color, and five-color decks, and the way that they have developed over time. Dana, walk us through how things have, or have not, in some cases, shifted about that. Sure. So, so before... Um, episode 71, um, which is back when we last looked at this kind of stuff, um, the breakdown was colorless were 1%, monocolor was 20%, two-color was 35%, three-color was 30 
four color was eight and five color was six. So very much a, you know, a rise up to two color and then a, a gradual drop back down again. I feel like this color breakdown does sort of characterize the traditional commander table that I would expect to see, you know, monocolor decks being about 20% of the format, for instance, I don't see always a monocolor deck in every single game that I play. Whereas a three color deck, which makes up about 30% of the format or two color decks making up about 35% of the format. Like, I feel like those tend to be the things that I see most commonly. I'm not always seeing a five color deck. I'm not always seeing a colorless deck. In fact, I'm rarely seeing a colorless deck. So those numbers definitely feel in line, especially when it comes to the two and the three color making up, you know, over 50% of the the data there. Over 50% of the decks are going to be either two or three color. Has that stuff changed in the new when we take a look at this? Was that gone? Is there something new? What's developing there, Dana? So we've definitely had some changes here. Um, Colorless has stayed the same, still 1% of the decks, but monocolor has decreased from 20 down to 18. The two-color decks have decreased from 35% down to 32, whereas the three-color deck representation has gone from 30% up to 35 uh, the four-color decks, of course, have dropped. Again, we're looking at eight down to six, but the five-color decks have gone up from 6% up to 8%. So monocolor and two-color and four-color going down, but three-color and five-color have had themselves just a bit of a smidgy boost there. Well, in three-color, it's not really surprising with how many more just sets they're playing around with three-color commander identities. Uh, we talked about a Coria that was all about wedges, but then even we got a whole bunch of new stuff in Commander Legends that we're going to start seeing the impact of here in the future. Mm. And it's kind of a just everybody's been incentivized to add more colors, to add more powerful cards. And Watsi's just been doing that double time by encouraging people to play more powerful commanders. You know, all of the, the top commanders that we're seeing, a lot of them are three-color, or at least partner is taking away from some of those four color decks with all the new partners that we're seeing you can't combine two two color partners anymore because if you had just the one of the new partners from commander legends it's only adding one color so a lot of those four color decks might be shifting down to three color yeah i would say it's not not even just the powerful cards people adding colors to the decks so that's definitely part of it but it becomes easier to do so every time we get a new cycle of dual lands mm -hmm. so whenever they print something like like the triomes or we got the battle bond lands whatever it is it becomes easier and easier for you to build three colors both in terms of just having a, a mana base that makes it easy to hit those colors and easy in terms of it becomes cheaper when you're not reliant so much on the fetches or the abur duels to have a good mana base so so life has gotten easier in terms of building those those three and four and five color decks um and, and yes granted the four color decks have gone down but that's probably not even so much a a decrease as it is a regression to the norm when we're looking at 2018 you're probably seeing a lot of mm -hmm. decks in the database that were kind of built when people first got the first chance to build four colors so like people went crazy built a lot of those decks and you know gave up on them or, or or didn't actually even make them in the first place and those numbers have kind of reset to maybe what makes a little more sense fresh off that kind of sugar rush high of actually getting a chance to do it in the first place. I think they're all just playing Golos instead, which is why you see the five color <laughs> well, no, decks sure. going up. Yeah. 
because in the five color decks, not only do we get a bunch of new five color commanders, a lot of them are also ones that are very easy in terms of mana base to build because the commanders themselves don't require you to have all five colors out. Mm -hmm. So you can do things like Golos where you can actually build it and it's colorless so you can cast your commander successfully even if your mana base isn't perfect or things like Kenrith, same thing where it's a five color commander but you don't need a perfect array of mana to actually get your commander in play. I well, and you, you brought up a really good point, Dana, that mana bases these days, with every new set that they're adding, we're getting new cycles of dual lands or finishing cycles like with the Battle Bond lands and Commander Legends. The, the kind of old stigma that people used to think about, you know, having a bunch of colors in Commander needing fetch lands, shock lands, any sort of dual lands that you can fetch up. I think that's kind of a 2018 point of view. I don't think you really need those anymore to be running a fairly effective three color mana base anymore. Yeah. I kind of want to circle back to something that you mentioned earlier there too, Matt, especially with regards to the three color decks, because like you said, Ikoria definitely had a huge wedge focus with like, you know, the Jeskai and Sultai color combos, for example. But like that, I mean, that explains a, a good bit of the boost that we're seeing, you know, a 5% increase in terms of all of these different color combinations. That's actually pretty sizable. But I would argue that we ain't even done yet. Like you said, with the Commander Legends, there's a lot of three color legends like the new Yurlock, for example, and a whole bunch of other interesting ones like Obeka. There's just a whole bunch more to explore there, too, in ways that we haven't had the chance to. So I would actually wager that we're not actually done seeing a boost to the three color section here. And and that by the end of this year, we might see that number tick up even a little bit more, possibly. Yeah, Joey, I completely agree. I think we're going to continue to see an uptick in three-colored decks for the reason you mentioned. Um, so many of those monocolor partners are, are useful and let you, uh, I think, do what the original intent was, which was to kind of build a quirky uh, deck that lets you be creative. And I think you're going to see over the course of the next year a lot of mixing and matching where someone takes a, a concept they wanted to build with the original two-color partner commanders and pairs them up with a third color from the new monocolor ones we got to do something interesting. So I agree. I think three colors between the, the continued improvement of mana bases and just the introduction of all these new monocolor partners, uh, I think when we look at this number next year, it'll absolutely be higher is my guess for sure. So, okay, going over all of that, seeing some of the different trends that we've noticed, you know, where we're at in 2021 and maybe, you know, keeping some of the things that we think about the format in check and seeing where they actually are. Now, having gone over that and like looking into the future in 2021, Guys, how are you feeling now? Having looked at that data, what are you thinking? What are you hoping for from 2021? Like if you're the magic designer gods or whatever, what is your 2021 New Year's resolution? What are you looking forward to most, do you think, from this year? Well, well like you said, Joey, I'm ready for those powerful white cards they kept hinting at. <laughs> Very ready. Uh, and, and I say that kidding, but... Um, some of the steps that they did start taking with white card draw, for example, with like Mangara the Diplomat, which was a kind of a cool way to see how white can draw cards and exploring that space. I'm ready to start seeing some of those fruits of what a lot of the folks with the hashtag Watsy staff in their tweets were alluding to when they say like, yes, we're, we're playing around with some, some new things in white. We're excited to see them. I want to see them start showing up now um, because yeah, like we're, they build a lot of excitement, obviously. So hopefully we, that excitement can finally like see what it's all been building to. And also, if they just want to take a set off from designing cards for Commander, if call time <laughs> is purely for standard, I need a break, man. I Like we said with Olivia, it's 
we we got a lot of product thrown at us man and it's yep just some time to process it all and actually know what all the cards are in any of the most recent sets would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely there with you. That was going to be the thing that I say. What I would like to see is a breather, just a just a little bit, just like what does it mean for a set to definitely not be focused for a commander, or even then, like maybe that's a bit too cynical to actually to say it that way. But it's like for the year of commander to feel special, uh, like there is, I think contrast can be a useful tool to help highlight that, and it would be useful for us to get some distance from it so that we can actually evaluate everything that happened more properly and we don't get that rotating or rush to catch up kind of feeling as often Mm -hmm. i think totally tangential to this another thing that i would maybe want to see a little bit less of is fewer of the kenrith cards for example where it's just like yeah this is a commander that's very easy to play this way but also has all of the colors i kind of want to see a bit more restriction in that regard i i really enjoy the confines of color identity that commander can sometimes bring out our creativity within so i want to see a bit more of that too as the year goes forward i want to see some of those numbers change like i would love to see you know more popularity for white as a color overall for example um i expect to see some stuff you know change for the three colors but i would love to see a bit more of the confines and the restrictions that we were sort of used to when you know the format was first beginning i'd love to be forced to explore in a more confined space there a little bit too because that's just i don't know i I enjoy the creativity that that brings out in me yeah i i will completely agree with that i made the comment about how golos and kenrith will let you build five color decks with a kind of weaker mana base without having to spend a ton of money um but maybe that's not always a great thing either when there's no penalty for playing five colors so i I do agree they they've dabbled in space but i i don't know if i want to see them spend too much time there because then you get a situation where you could just have access to everything without really having to uh pay any kind of penalty for for doing that so no i i that's a really good point i also agree with with matt's thing about there being a little a little bit of a a delineation between the things i i think maybe pulling back a little bit on the commander stuff for standard sets mm. will make those those commander centric ones like the um jumpstart and like the commander legends feel more special when we get that thing for us that's doing really crazy stuff versus seeing kind of that crazy stuff like companion for example in just a standard set (laughs) oh yeah no that's so well no it's even wrong though like yeah i the omnath got banned in standard it's just like that was pretty clearly a thing designed for edh and like that's not we want edh not to exist at the expense of the other formats like yeah yeah right yeah Yeah. you bet the other thing i would say is, is you know you mentioned white um i'd like to see white find a way to do powerful white things in a way that feels white the the powerful things the cards we were talking about in red that do that do you know effective things feel red they found a way to make the new useful red cards feel impulsive with the impulse draw for example in red i'd like to have them find a way to do that in a white versus just finding ways to to staple a useful effect onto a three three soldier um (laughs) not that that isn't good like if you're playing a soldier deck and you keep getting three three soldiers that do useful card draw ish things that's great but i'd like to see some more diversity there in terms of the Mm -hmm. the good things they do for white Acroma's will was a great card um but i feel like blue or excuse me green gets an Acroma's will ish card every year um i'd like that to not be you know, a once a decade thing for white, give white some ways to close <laughs> some games out like a Chrome yeah. as well. So some more of that. 
and some more flavorful stuff for white. I think if I'm if I'm focusing on things I want to see with white, that would be one of the things as well. I mean, so I'll, I'll jump on this train and asking for things in white as well, I guess. Um, but just cards in white that are good in all stages of the game, not just when you're behind. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about yeah. a lot of the new cards that we've seen for white, whether it's Cartographer's Hawk um, or I believe it's Keeper of the Accord, the new one in Commander Legends. They only do things if an opponent has more stuff than you. I would love if any of these cards would work at all stages. So even if you're, you know, at parity, even not even just being ahead, but just having a card that does something good that you want at all times. That is, it's something that I don't know if it's a design philosophy that white can only catch up and it can't stay ahead. But I would love to see just some more powerful white cards like they said, but that are good at all stages of the game. Chroma's Will is a fantastic one. That is an amazing card. So cards that are like that more often, I guess. And I, I know they they might break our format, but break it. It's white. We need help. <laughs> Less Oliver Twist cards where you're asking for some more porridge. That's what white does too much. And I think we want a little bit less of, please, sir, may I have some more? Oh, man. That's a I, deep cut. I, I... This wasn't the direction that I expected us to deviate into as we're rounding off. Like, what are we hoping for the year? And it's just like design philosophy about this particular color. <laughs> so, but it was just, so I'll but, you know, fair. I've got one I'll throw out there, and I think they've been doing a really nice job of this, and I hope it continues, is for them to go back and, and find lore characters that players have always wanted a card from, mm-hmm. and then giving us that card in lore. They've done a an excellent job of that in 2020 and i hope that is a thing moving forward um not that we don't want new characters we want those as well but i love seeing those those boxes get checked where you're like hey i finally i can finally play glacian if i want to do that so they've been doing a fantastic job of that and i hope that is a thing we keep seeing moving forward i also think they've been doing a really nice job of foreshadowing future stories um, it looks like Kazmina, who was in War of the Spark as a Blue Planeswalker, is going to be a character in the upcomings at Strixhaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and her creating the wizard tokens on her Planeswalker card seems to be something that's tied in with what she does in the actual set that came out two years later. And I love seeing that, that, that they've like threaded those kind of things years into the future in logical ways. And I hope we keep seeing those kind of things get revealed that indicate that this is a, a much larger um, spanning plan they have for these sets. I think that's just delightful. And I love seeing that and hope we get more of it. Well, and just to stay complimentary, I love seeing how Watsi's kind of explored the space of every single color having some interaction with a mechanic, but how does each color explore that mechanic uniquely? So like the, the courts, the court cycle from Commander Legends was a very cool way of exploring that with Court of Bounty, for example, and then Court of Grace. How does each color have this one tie-in to a specific mechanic or a specific theme in a set and then take advantage of it? And how does it do that well? Um, Still, a few colors maybe were a little more powerful than others, but at the same time, it's a good start, and I like seeing how there's there's one thing that the set's doing. How does each color play its role in that? I do enjoy seeing that, and and seeing that more in the future would be very lovely to see. They've also done a very good job of ba- like you you alluded to some are weaker and stronger, but I think that's definitely tightened up over the years, mm-hmm. where the discrepancy between 
healing self and ancestral recall um, being as far as it could possibly be in the game um you know over the years they definitely tightened that up and in the last few years they've gotten way better at it all the will cycle cards from legends are are very very Mm -hmm. playable you know some are better than others but like they're all quite good all the courts are quite playable all those free spells that we got last spring from the commander cycle you know fierce guardianship's amazing but like the worst of the five is still a very very good spell so they've done a much better job of figuring out how to make those cycles without making one of them a healing salve yeah those wooberg cycles definitely like the quality of them just overall have gone up and i i I love seeing that. Yeah. Over the course of the year, we will certainly see how, you know, this different data that we brought up develops. See if, you know, for example, the percentage of decks that include white goes up. See whether the number of three color decks also goes up. If there end up being more five color decks, if four color decks start, you know, shrinking down a little bit, the efficiency of mana costs, all of these trends that it's just good for us to be aware of and that we wanted to sort of hash out for this particular episode to kind of guide us through the next year. And we'll see how it all results at the end end of the year as well there's a lot to look forward to for sure i think but i don't know for now i'm just going to be laughing at the obnoxious image of jeff golos because matt that will stay with me forever (laughs) anyway fellas if our listeners would like to get in touch with us where is it that they can find you all matt so you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming on twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. Our guests are always pretty great. Then they just seem to keep getting better and better. So make sure you tune in. We're playing Paper Magic over there. So make sure to tune in. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, Most Mondays, CMDR Central. And you can find all of us at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where you can support the show Uh, Join our Discord, submit challenge the stats, and actually see our spreadsheet of challenge the stats picks over the course of all of 2020, which we are going to forget, but we won't forget the picks. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRECCast on both Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRECCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast here, and our thanks to our sponsors, that's TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.